Well, you don't have to live long to know that life is messy. Just this last week, uh, Sunday after church, my family didn't come with me to church because my daughter woke up sick. And uh, I come home from church and I walk outside, my daughter's painting, and she starts to complain about her tummy hurting. And she walks inside and she looks a little wobbly. And so I see that and I grabbed her, I picked her up, and in my arms, my five-year-old daughter passed out. And it was like a movie. I was just like, Neela, come on, you can do this. And she comes back and she vomits. And um, it, was, it was a crazy afternoon coming home from church. And we ended up spending the rest of the day in the ER. Uh, we were there till about 9 o'clock at night. And they ran all the tests and figured out she's fine. Uh, it was nausea, stomach bug, dehydration, something called the vegal vein. Our, our medical experts can help me with that. Um, but everything was fine, but it was a bit of a crazy day. And then a couple days later, we had a backflow problem at our house. Things literally got messy. Um, we had to call a plumber, right? We couldn't use our water for a little while. We had to shut things down because a Lego or something else got stuck in a pipe, right? Things literally got messy, and it was kind of a crazy day, a crazy week, and everybody's okay now. Everybody's healthy. But it was a little bit crazy. And I know that you sitting here this morning, you've had those crazy events in your life. right? Maybe it was this week. Maybe you had your own craziness. Right? But maybe even if it's not a crazy event, life, the daily, is just messy. right? Relationships are difficult. If you're in one of those, a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, a dating relationship, a family member, you know that that gets messy, Right? You know that decisions in your life, they're not always black and white. That sometimes they get messy. You know that in your life, that life doesn't always go as planned. Right? I didn't come home from church thinking I was going to have to take my daughter to the ER. I thought I was going to take a nap. That life doesn't always go as planned. Listen, you know, every one of us in here, you know in your life that sin is real. That it's real. We don't like to talk about it, but it's real. Life is messy. And what you also have learned in your life is that it doesn't take just positive information. It doesn't take just a positive outlook. It doesn't take just Google to fix all that messiness. Right? You can only WebMD so many things. There's too many things. It's too messy that we need more. And that's where the book of Proverbs comes in. The wisdom of God. The book of Proverbs is written by a guy named Solomon, who was the third king of Israel. God inspires Solomon and writes this through him because he knows that you and I need wisdom. And so last week we looked at that. We looked at Proverbs chapter 1 and we saw that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And you have to look to God first and there's a relationship. You have to see him for who he is. And as you see him for who he is, you get an awe, respect, and wonder for him. And then you begin to learn what his wisdom looks like. So we talked about that last week, that there's this way of wisdom. There's this way of seeing all of life through God's eyes. But we also see in Proverbs, and you also see in your life, that there's another way. There's another path. That path in the book of Proverbs is known as folly. It's folly. So as that messiness ensues in your life, in your relationships, in your finances, spiritually, as those crazy events happen, that oftentimes we don't turn to wisdom, instead we turn to folly. 
And so God meets us in that, and he wants to pull us out of that and make us wise. And so if that's you this morning, that's all of us this morning, we need to look at what it says. And so I'm going to invite you to grab a Bible. If you don't have one, you can grab one on the floor in front of you. We're going to head first to Proverbs chapter 9. Eventually we'll get back over to Proverbs 1, but head to Proverbs 9. You can pull it up on your phone and let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray as we do open up your word, God, that you would speak into our folly, God, that you would speak into our sin, and you would give us wisdom. God, I pray for the men and women in this room that they would be attentive to what you're about to speak through me to them, that they would be attentive to your word, that we would look at it, that we would learn from it, and we would apply it to our lives so that we might be wise, that you might save us from folly. God, I pray that you would do that now by your spirit, through your word. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, over and over again, if you read the book of Proverbs, which, by the way, I would encourage you to do, Proverbs is 31 chapters. You can still start now reading one chapter a day, and you can be done by the time we finish this series. So you can see kind of the whole picture of the book of Proverbs. I would encourage you to do that for your own life. But as you do that, you're going to see a trend. You're going to see these two categories in the book of Proverbs. You're going to see category one is wisdom, and the other category is folly. And we see a really good picture of that in Proverbs chapter 9. Look at the chapter with me. Verse 1 is where we'll start. It says this, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast." She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And then skip down to verse 13. We see a picture of folly. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows Nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in the secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are in there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So as you look at these two passages, you see wisdom and you see folly. It's a really good snapshot for us. Now, wisdom and folly are different. Look at the text. In the text, you see that they're different, right? Wisdom is building. It's working towards something. Folly is sitting at the door. Wisdom is asking you to eat and drink what's been prepared. Folly is asking you to eat and drink what's been stolen and to do it in secret. Wisdom is inviting you to live, verse 6. Folly is inviting you to die. Verse 18, but while they're different, they can appear similar, right? And life, and even in this passage, look back at the passage with me, both offer food, right? Wisdom, it's meat, wine, and bread. Folly, it's bread and water. Both appeal to your need. They recognize that we can be simple and lacking sense. And then both call out to you with a solution, right? It's the same exact quote. Do you see that? It says, turn in here. That We're going to make it better. You have wisdom and you have folly. Now, what is this going to teach us? We see that wisdom and folly are absolutely different, but we also see that they can appear similar. Why? Because you need to know that this scripture, that life teaches us, that folly is deceptive. Folly is deceptive. That it appears similar. That it seems good, but it's not. 
That's why the lady wisdom is crying out, come in here. Come in here. I'm going to offer you sweetness. It's going to be pleasant. And as you get closer, you smell death. That there's dead bodies in there. That it doesn't bring life. That wisdom does that. That folly is deceptive. You see this in all kinds of situations in life. My wife and I, our second year of marriage, we went to India. Uh, my wife is from India. Her parents were born there. Her sister was born there. She grew up here, and it was our first chance to go back to India and for her to see the motherland. And so we get, get ready to go to India, and um, it's crazy. Everybody's telling us what it's going to be like. You, you've seen this as you go to another country. Everybody tells you, watch out for this. This is going to be awesome. And, and one consistent thing that everybody would tell us as we would get ready to go to India was that there's animals everywhere. If you know much about Hinduism, uh, they represent, the animals represent gods. And so there'll be cows in the median because they have free reign. They respect them as godlike creatures. And then also monkeys. In certain places, monkeys will be on the fences. They'll be out in the fields. And as people would tell me this, my ears would perk up. Like there's monkeys just hanging out and we can see them and maybe pet one. And so as we get ready to go to India and Jay is thinking about the wedding we're going to go to and seeing all these family members. All I can think about is the monkeys. <laughs> Curious George was my favorite show growing up. Still kind of is as I watch it with my kids. And I just thought, I want to see a monkey and maybe pet a monkey. It's going to be amazing. And so we're visiting a museum one day. And to the left of the museum in this open field is this group of monkeys. And this photographer comes up to me and says, hey, can we snap your picture? Yeah, I think we have a picture of the monkeys. He says, can we snap your picture, which if you've been to India or other countries even, you know this happens. It's not uncommon. They want to take your picture, so you give them money, and this happens. And he says, can I take your picture? And I say, yes. Can we take a picture with the monkeys? And so he says, yes, to my surprise. And so we begin to make our trek over to the monkeys, and he begins to tell us, here's what you do. You kneel down. Um, you kneel down, and you hold out some food. And the monkey will just come and eat it out of your hand. It's going to be great. And I'll snap a photo. You can show your family. And so we go and we do that. I kneel down. I'm first, guinea pig. And I put out my hand for some food. And the monkey's eating out of my hand. And it's as great as I imagined. And in a moment, I begin to get up. Because it's my wife's turn to take a picture. And this monkey turns from Curious George to Caesar from the Planet of the Apes. I think we have a picture of that. Yeah, That's me. I, I had a beanie on. Um, but you can see that monkey is not so happy. That's not Curious George. And I honestly, this is one of the scariest moments of my life. I was freaking out like, I'm not sure what to do right now. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Uh, why did I want to take a picture with a monkey? Well, by God's grace, honestly, uh, I, I can't even remember what happened, but I just know at some point we did an easier trade-off, and the monkey settled down, and my wife took a picture with the monkey, and everything was fine. Now, why did that happen? I, the monkeys look so cute. I think in the first picture, one was holding a little baby. I mean, they look so sweet. It seems like it would be so fun. But as you get closer and you realize that they are dangerous. We got home and my wife's parents, so gracious with me, I'm telling them about this. And they're just like, you know that that type of monkey can whip you with their tail? 
and injure you and almost kill you. Uh, that would have been good to know. It was folly, right? It was folly, but it was deceptive. The monkeys looked so cute, but they were dangerous and could even end up leading to death. But I didn't see that because folly is deceptive, and you see that in your life. There's people in your life saying, let's go here, and it looks tempting. It looks appeasing. And you think, man, maybe I could just go there. Maybe that would be fun, and maybe that would be pleasant. As we see in verse 17 in chapter 9, Lady Folly says, Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead. Folly is deceptive. That as people ask you to go to a place that you know you shouldn't go to, it doesn't seem gross at the time. It seems intriguing. You want to go there. As the internet asks you to click, it doesn't seem gross. It seems appealing. And you want to click. You want to go there. As people invite you into gossip and to talk about other people, it doesn't seem like gossip at the time. It just seems like, I mean, we're just chatting about the current events of the day. I mean, what does it hurt? I mean, it almost kind of feels freeing to just talk about other people. All I think about is myself. So it almost feels freeing just to talk about the problems of other people. It makes my problems not seem so bad. And we think, I'll just go there. I'll just click there. I'll just talk about this. And you need to know that that is deceptive. That there are a pack of dead bodies waiting for you. That you're not just dabbling in folly. You're dabbling in death. Do you see that? And listen, I know a lot of us in here are Christians. And so we may not be going down this path of folly 100 miles an hour. Like at some point, God turned you from folly to wisdom. At some point, you repented of your sin and of your folly, and you turned to the wisdom of God. And you said, God, I trust you over this folly, and I'm going to follow you instead of this folly. I know we have a lot of those people sitting in this room. I know we have some people who that may not be you. You may not have done that yet. And maybe you're here because you feel stuck. At some point, this folly seemed intriguing and appeasing, and so you went down that path, and now you feel stuck, and you want out, and maybe that's why you came to church today. I know that those people are in this room as well. But the majority of us would say, I've turned to wisdom. I've turned to God. I've turned away from folly. But if I'm honest, I dabble in both. I dabble in wisdom. I dabble in folly. When things get messy, sometimes I turn to folly. When things are going great, sometimes I turn to folly. If we're honest, we all dabble in and out of folly. You need to know you're dabbling in death. That it's dangerous, that it's destructive, and we need wisdom. And that's why wisdom cries out to us. We see that in the book of Proverbs chapter 1. You can flip back over there real quick. Chapter 1. Verse 20, it says this, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. Listen, wisdom is applicable to your situation. Some of you may be thinking, God doesn't understand my mess. Like my week, he doesn't understand that. My relationships, my finances, God doesn't understand my mess. Listen, he does. We see it in this passage that in the markets, Wisdom raises her voice. God's truth, God's wisdom is in the marketplace. It meets you in your mess. 
it cries out to you. Verse 21, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Verse 22, we see that there's types of folly, that there's three types of people on this path, and the first one is simple. This is literally gullible, that you're easily led. Proverbs 14 says the simple believe everything. So the simple person is not the most evil person, but they just don't think about the consequences to their actions, right? My son, he's two and a half. The other day he came to me in the bedroom, and I don't know where he found this, but he had a screw about this size. And he comes up to me, and he wants to put it in his mouth. And so we stop him. We say, no, 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 Ashwin, don't put that in your mouth. It's dirty. You could choke on it. It's just generally not a good idea to put a screw in your mouth. And, of course, my son, who's two and a half, he's like, ah, 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 because he's not thinking about the consequences, right? He's just living and learning, hopefully. He's, he's doing actions, but he's not thinking about the consequences. That's the simple. It's not necessarily evil, but listen, it's just as dangerous. If you put a knife in the hand of a surgeon, man, they could... Heal things, fix things. If you put a knife in the hand of a child, they could kill themselves. They could kill somebody else. Simple is not evil, but it's dangerous. It's destructive. It's folly. That's our first category. We see this even for Christians. We see simple Christians. You know Jesus. You know the wisdom of God, but you often turn to folly in a simple way. And you do this with church hopping, right? We even have a name for that, where you just, the next sensation, right, you just go to it. Like this church has great preaching, so I'm going to go over here as if this pastor has some special Holy Spirit that this other guy doesn't have, and he's going to infuse me with that. And then I'll get fixed, and then I won't have the folly in my life. And we're simple, and we, we believe the next big thing, and we go to that. We think this church over here has an awesome worship team, and I'm going to go over here because maybe there's something sensational I can get from that. And we're simple, and we just go. We believe everything, and we go from here and there, and we never learn what it means to commit, to walk in community, to learn, to contribute, because we're simple, and we just think, I'll just go to the next big thing. Listen, the danger in that, <laughs> I'm not just saying that because I want you to stick with our church. Let me say that. What I'm saying is, if you don't stick with any church, the danger in that is that you will church hop and you will never become a committed part of a church family. That you will never get connected. That you won't have people to speak into your life. That you won't be able to do that for other people. And listen, that's the picture we see of the New Testament church. Church hopping wasn't even a thing. It doesn't make sense because it's simple. It's folly. So the first category we see is simple. The second category we see is this Category of fool, it's just the generic fool. These are the people that know what they're doing is wrong, but they refuse to think about it. We see that in Proverbs 1-7. It says, fools despise instruction. They say, I don't want to hear it. I know that this addiction is wrong. I know that these relationships are wrong. I know that the way I'm perceiving and going about life is wrong. I know that there's consequences. I know if I eat this screw, I'm going to choke on it. But I don't want to think about that right now. I don't want to think about the consequences. There was a guy that I roomed with in college. We were best friends in high school. And uh, 
We went to college together, and both of us just thought, man, we're going to rebel. It's going to be amazing. We don't have parents telling us what to do. We can do whatever we want. And we did that for a while, and I quickly learned that that was destructive, and I got out of that a little bit by God's grace. But my friend never did. And he went through jobs, drugs, girls. He dropped out of school. And he's still spiraling down in that cycle today. And I remember sitting with him in college, and he just dropped out. And I was just like, don't, don't do that. Like, I was just kidding about getting crazy. Like, we want to go to school and be successful. Like, you want that, right? And he just said to me, like, yeah, I, I know that the path I'm on is not of the most success. I know that it's not working out with this girl, with these drugs. But he said, if I thought about that, I would have to change something. And he said, I don't want to do that. That would be too hard. That's not as fun. And he's still going down that path. The Bible says that's a fool. That there are consequences to your actions, and if you don't consider them, that that will lead to destruction. The third thing we see is scoffers in verse 22. It says, uh, we see that fools choose not to think about consequences, that the scoffer laughs at consequences. They'll do anything to get ahead. They scoff at discipline. They use things and people to get money, sex, and power, and they say, how dare you challenge me? You, you know this. You go to a friend that's just ruining their life in some addiction, in some folly that they just wrapped themselves up in that looked appeasing, but it's not, and you go to them and you say, man, get out. Don't do this. And they say, how dare you? I'm a man. You can't talk to me like that. They don't want to hear it. Scripture says that's a scoffer, that you're laughing in the face of destruction. So we see these three types. We see simple, fool, and scoffer. These are the three types of people on this path. The one thing they all have in common is they miss the created order of God, that our choices and actions have consequences. In college, I, I alluded to that. I went to college thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to party. I'm going to do this. I can do whatever I want. Guess what? In two to three months, I had a C average. Because I never went to class, and I blew off papers and projects. The reality is you can't do whatever you want, that it has consequences. Even now, I love Mexican food. Like chips and salsa is my love language. And when I was younger, man, I could eat all the Mexican food I want, and I would. I'd go to a restaurant, eat my plate. My sister wouldn't be finished with hers. I would eat her plate. As I've gotten a little bit older, I can't do that. If I do, I'm miserable bloated, and I, and I just hate life at that point because I'm just like, I don't, why did I do all that? Because you can't do whatever you want. God designed a world that was supposed to work in accord with wisdom. That there's a way that it's designed to work, and if you don't operate in that system, it leads to devastating consequences, and we see that in verse 23. Verse 23, look at the verse. It says this, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, 
because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way, have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. You see some of these outcomes in these verses. Calamity. You see terror. You see distress. You see anguish. You see death and destruction. You need to know this morning that folly is deceptive and it's destructive. But there's good news. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, If you turn in my reproof, behold. I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Turn in scripture is this idea of repentance, that you're going one way and that you turn and go another way. That folly is crying out to you, but that God and his wisdom is also crying out. And that as you're going towards folly, God cries out to you. He pulls you. You turn and you turn to him and you start to listen to him and do what he says and not what folly says. Proverbs calls out to you and I in the midst of our deception, in the midst of our destruction, of folly, and he says, turn. Turn to me. I will pour out my spirit on you. In Proverbs 9, we see that there's life and wisdom. There's death and folly, and God wants you to turn from that death and turn to him in life. He wants you to experience wisdom instead of folly, joy instead of pain, life instead of death. That's available to you today, that God is the solution. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. It says this, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus takes the words of wisdom, listen to this, and puts them in his mouth. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus acknowledges these two categories of wisdom and folly. And he acknowledges that life is going to be messy, that the storms will come, that the winds will come, that the rain will come. Jesus doesn't say everything's going to be peachy if you follow me. What he says is it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy in the crazy events of your life. It's going to be messy in the daily relationships of your life. It's going to be messy in your finances, that it's going to be messy, but that I will sustain you through it. If you listen to me, if you follow me, listen, the key to wisdom is not just learning principles. It's following a person. That person is Jesus Christ. He is crying out to you. Just like in Proverbs, Jesus is crying out to you and saying, I am the wise one. Follow me. Turn from your folly and you will live. Turn from your folly And I will pour out my spirit on you. We see that in Ephesians 1, that we get his Holy Spirit within us. Jesus is crying out to you. Wisdom is crying out to you. 
Turn away from your folly. Turn to me. And this isn't just a one-time thing. Some of you may not know Jesus, and you need to do that for the first time. But if you already know Jesus, this is something we come back to like daily, weekly. It's something I come back to in my life. My wife and I were getting ready to have our third child in just a few weeks. And as we think about that, it stresses us out. What does it look like to have three kids? I don't know how to handle two. Right, this is going to get crazy. What's the next year of our life going to be like? That be like? And we work through these outcomes, and we work through these scenarios, and like we're going to have to move in a few months, and what's that going to look like? And um, what are all these things going to look like? And it, it kind of stresses us out. And a lot of times we think, let's just watch a movie. Because we're not going to be able to do that anymore. Let's just escape. Like, let's just do that now, and, and maybe we can find some escape. And what we do is we trade rest for escape. We go to things that aren't going to provide us peace. They're not going to provide us joy. They're not going to get us through the messiness of life. They're just going to provide a little escape for maybe two and a half hours. And we trade the rest of God's wisdom the rest of the person and work of Jesus, we trade that for escape. What is that for you? All of us, we dabble in folly. And when we do that, we're dabbling in death. What is that for you? Is it trading rest for escape? Is it an addiction? Maybe it's not a drug addiction, but maybe it's just something else in your life. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's approval. You're just addicted to approval, and you just think, man, if people would just like me, my life would go better. It wouldn't be so messy. What is that for you? Is it just being simple, and you're just led every which way? I mean, somebody comes along, and they have a great business idea, and you're just like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. Somebody comes along and has another business idea, and you say, yeah, I'll sign up for that too. And your finances are in shambles. Maybe for some of you, it's your sexuality. Maybe you're single and you just think, man, if I could just find the right guy or girl to to love me physically and appreciate me, that my life won't be as messy. And you run from relationship to relationship, from physical relationship to physical relationship. And if you're honest, that was deceptive and it's destructive in your life. Maybe you're married and you just keep going to fantasies that you have, to things you've seen on the internet, you just keep clicking, even when it's deceptive, even when you know that there's dead bodies there, and you just think, ah, it's not that big a deal, I I got that. Maybe there's past experiences in your life, and you just keep running through those, through your mind, and you just think, man, that was so much easier when I was single, and you, you have kids, but you think those, those are hard, and this is responsibility is hard, and you just think, I'm going to just keep going over here. I'm going to escape, and I'm going to trade the rest of God for escape. What is that for you? In Proverbs, wisdom is crying out to you. Jesus is crying out to you. He's saying, don't listen to Madam Folly. Listen to me. Some of you think your life is too messy. Like, God, I've gone too far. You don't understand my situation. You don't need to despair. You need to know that God is for you in the midst of your mess. That Jesus died for you in the midst of your mess. That he rose again for you in the midst of your mess. That he wants to pull you out of that folly. He wants to save you from it. And he wants to give you his wisdom. Not just a principle, but a person. 
that's available to you today. It's not a one-time thing. We have to keep coming back to that. You need to come back to that today. Jesus is saying, turn from your folly, turn to me, listen to me, and do what I say, and you will live. Don't delay. Don't postpone that. Don't think about what you're going to do for lunch. Do that today. God's wisdom cries out to you, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for your wisdom meeting us in the mess. That they're not just trite platitudes. That they're not just good things to think about or even just principles to memorize or put on our mirror. But God, you sent the wisdom of yourself onto this earth to live the life that we could never live. To die a death in our place so that we didn't have to die that death. To die for sin and folly so that we don't have to just live and learn and go down that path of folly which leads to death, that we can look to you and experience wisdom. God, I pray for these men and women. I pray for them right now. Just, I don't know what they're thinking about. I don't know what kind of week they had. I don't know what kind of morning they had. I don't know what folly is tempting for them. I don't know what folly looks good for them. But God, I pray that for each of these men and women that you would meet them in that folly and that you would cry out by your spirit and say, turn, that it's not too late, you haven't gone too far, that my wisdom and my life is available to you. And I would just ask you to to spend a moment and pray and ask God to reveal that to you, to reveal your folly and to turn you to wisdom. Do that now. Jesus, I thank you that you're good and that you're wise and you give us life. I pray that you would do that now by the power of your spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.